0: Welcome to the Truth Wars podcast with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We wanted to let you know that Olin's first book, What to Do with Worry, is now available on Audible. You can also purchase physical copies where Christian books are sold. Now, here's Olin. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Proverbs chapter 19. Proverbs chapter 19, we're continuing our series on forgiveness. Into the Advent season, and think about this, when the angels came to the shepherds in the fields in Luke chapter 2 and announced peace, goodwill among men, the primary implication was that holy God and sinful men would be reconciled, there would be peace between God and man. But a secondary implication is that that peace should then begin to flow from one man to another so that, as we sang earlier, heaven's peace could become present with us here on earth. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. I want us to just think about this phrase uh, by way of introduction this morning. Another translation said, it is the glory of man to overlook an offense. Why would it be glorious for a human being to get offended and just overlook it? Because that is what God does so often for us. Okay? Now, there are times where we're not able to overlook offenses. There's times where God doesn't overlook our offenses, but sometimes he does. And remember, ancient Jewish culture would have been an honor-shame culture. If you were wronged, there was a sense of, I have to vindicate myself. My honor has been tarnished, and I've got to make it right. But what this text is saying in Proverbs is what's even more honorable, what's even more glorious is to be like God. And because God is so gracious and merciful that sometimes when we sin against him, he just overlooks it. Have you ever thought about this? How many times on average do you think you or I sin in a day and we're not even aware of it? Or maybe we are aware of it, but we're so busy in our day, we don't stop to say, Father, I'm sorry I sinned against you. It's usually kind of the big ones that slow us down, and we're like, i got to pray about that one. And how gracious is God that He just overlooks our sins? Now, I'll flip to the New Testament, to Luke chapter 17. That's where we're really going to start off this morning. But even as you flip there, just listen as I read from Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, this is verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You hear what he's saying there? Part of the nature of God is He has all of these good gifts like sunshine and rain. Pretty important for life on planet earth. And He even lets His enemies benefit from his gifts i mean think about who in your mind is the most wicked human being to ever live maybe you think hitler osama bin laden pharaoh somebody like that but even they were able to live on god's planet earth for decades and experience much of his graciousness so if we want to be like god if there are people in our lives that we even say that person is my enemy there should still be a lot of grace that we're willing to give them, overlook their offenses. But, but here's a key. This is so important. I, 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 I'll say it this way. I started to learn this principle early in marriage. I'm still learning it. Don't try to be more spiritual than you are. Okay? And I'm going to give you a couple of illustrations to make sense of this. If you're going to overlook something, you have to be able to overlook it. Do you understand what I mean by that? And to me, here's the litmus test. If you wake up the next morning and you're still mad about it and you're gritting your teeth, you didn't overlook it. You need to have a conversation. I'm going to give you two quick stories. You're going to get a little Stubbs family drama this morning, okay? Uh, If anything, it'll be interesting. Years ago, one of our children was young. He tended to struggle in school a little bit. One night, my wife said, will you help him with his homework? Uh, I'd had a busy day. I looked at the assignment. I mean, this is like elementary school. And it was, use this word in a sentence. Now, what I remember from my English classes is, what do you have to have to have a sentence? You have to have a subject and a verb. And I'm the expert of simplicity. And so if the word was ran, I'd say dog ran. There you go. That's a sentence. And we worked through it all in about five minutes flat. And then I'm getting ready to go to bed, getting ready for my son to go to bed. My wife, who had been an elementary school teacher at one point in her life, Took the homework and looked at it and said, oh, no, this won't do. And I was like, I'm done. I'm going. And she went back and redid it. And I was furious for many reasons. Number one, you just wasted my time. If you were going to do it anyway, why would you take my time up? I don't like my time being wasted. Number two, I did have some sensitivity for this child. He was struggling in school for her to come back and say, yeah, you didn't do good enough. She went to bed and I stayed downstairs trying to watch TV, but I was fuming inside. Literally, I'm not making that two or three different times. I started to walk upstairs to wake her up like we got to talk about this. But I'm like, that probably won't be a good way to wake her up. I'll pray about it. I'll wait about it. Right. But literally, I I was boiling. I was angry. I was offended. But I prayed, God, help me forgive. Help me overlook. I want to be mature enough to overlook. In the grand scheme of things, this is so small. And the next morning, getting all the kids ready to go to school, and as I'm helping him put his books in his book bag, I remember last night, and you know what? I I just started laughing. I'm like, I'm a fool. What's wrong with me? That was tiny. I'd overlooked it. You see, I I wasn't mad anymore. I wasn't angry. Understand? You can't overlook an offense. When you can overlook an offense, overlook it. Because there's going to be plenty of offenses you can't overlook. And if you don't overlook some, you're going to be having a lot of confrontational conversations in your life, and nobody will like you. All right? Now, this one is a lot more recent. This was just a couple of years ago at the annual New Year's conference that Campus Outreach runs that I'm in charge of. I'm supposed to be like the most spiritual person there. Supposed to be, but not. okay. And uh, my family is driving up there. And my wife for years has said about my driving uh, that, that I'm an unsafe driver. I like to say I'm an aggressive driver. Maybe we're both right. But she used to like to nitpick me about my driving. Why is that person honking at you? Did you cut them off? Watch out. Why are you running off the side of the road? Comments like this, at least in my experience, felt like never ending. But I, trying to be super spiritual, I'm just going to overlook, just going to overlook, just going to overlook. But I wasn't. I was stuffing the volcano for a soon and coming explosion. The next night, again, at this spiritual conference that I'm leading, I get a break, take the family out for dinner. I'm driving again. Okay. Okay. And she makes some comment about hitting an orange cone, maybe something like that. And uh, hypothetically, and, and I lose it. I literally like lose it, start screaming at her. You're not the perfect driver. When you cut somebody off and somebody honks at you, I don't say anything. I'm sick of you berating me. I may mean, just, I went off. I went full prosecuting attorney mode. I mean, I bit her head off and in front of some of my kids. And you ever had one of these? It's like, I don't know if this is appropriate for the pulpit, but I'll use it anyway. Diarrhea of the mouth. It's like it starts coming and you can't stop it. I'm saying, I know this is not good. I know this is not right. But like, it's like I had, it was pent up and it was coming out. Now, she's on the verge of tears. My kids are on shock. They hadn't seen anything like this. Maybe ever. And later, I had to go back and repent to my wife, to my kids. So, guys, this is all by way of introduction. It's going to be a fun Sunday, okay? (laughs) Overlook an offense when you can. How do you know? You wake up the next morning and you can honestly laugh about it and laugh at yourself for taking it too seriously. Don't try to be more spiritual than you are. If you can't overlook it, have a conversation. Because if you stuff it, nobody wants the volcano that's coming, not even you. The first point is this this morning. Reconciliation is the goal. Reconciliation is the goal. Luke chapter 17. And this is where we'll officially dive in. Luke chapter 17. Let's start in verse 3. Pay attention to yourselves. This is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Now... We've been talking about forgiveness now for about six or seven weeks, and I I want to say this. I want you to think right now in your mind, who in your life do you tend to have the most tension with the most often? Or maybe, who is the person in your life right now that you just have the most tension in your relationship with them right now? And as we go through this morning, I want you to be thinking about that specific relationship. James chapter 1 verse 22 says, Don't merely be hearers of the word and so deceive yourselves, but also be doers of the word. You know, I do a lot of fraternity Bible studies, or at least I have in the past. And usually there's at least one guy that I can tell. He's coming to this Bible study. He's showing up on time. He's staying the whole time. He might even be taking notes. But you know the main reason he's coming? So he can tell mom, I went to Bible study. He ain't planning on chasing a thing. Right? He might bring a beer with him to the Bible study. As soon as it's over, he's going to the bar. He's checking his box. And guys, there's a danger of treating church that way. I come, I show up, I listen, I nod. But if there's no transformation in our lives, there's a sense of self-deception. We're actually worse off to hear the Word of God and not apply it. It'd almost be better not to hear it. So think about where might the Lord be calling you to apply some of this this morning. Jesus, verse 3, pay attention to yourselves. Oftentimes when Jesus said, hey, pay attention, beware, he usually is talking about maybe the Pharisees, the false religious leaders. But here he says, watch out for yourself. Why would he say this? Watch out for yourself because he's saying at least two things. Watch out for yourself that when somebody sins against you, that if you need to go rebuke them, you're willing to do that. And a lot of times we don't like confrontation. But if that's what needs to happen, if you can't overlook it, go rebuke them. But then if they repent, you got to be willing to forgive. And what? Guys, some of this is based on your family upbringing, some of this is based on your personality. But know yourself. There are some of us, guy. I'm not afraid of conflict, I almost like conflict. I hope somebody offends me. I'm ready to rebuke them. No, I hope nobody's quite that psycho, right? But sometimes our personalities can lean a little bit more that way. But it's the mercy part that can be hard. Well, they repented, but I'm not sure it was real repentance. So I'm not sure I'm going to forgive them. Whereas other people may feel like you're falling all over yourself to forgive people. You may have liked everything I've said over the past six or seven weeks. But when it comes to the confrontation, you're not so sure. Know yourself, know your weakness, beware... So that you can do both. Now, just think about this. If you've been here, if you've been listening to this series, we haven't talked about repentance very much, have we? I mean, we've talked a ton about forgiveness, minimally about repentance. Adam and Eve did the most bare minimum, not even really, can't even call it repentance, job of repentance, and yet God was merciful. Joseph's brothers repented, David repented, okay? The Lord's, think about the Lord's prayer. The Lord's prayer doesn't say, Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, but they've also repented. Didn't say that, did it? It just said, we're going to forgive everybody that sins against us. Okay, Matthew 18, the king just forgave the servant at first. No repentance. Now, repentance came to play later because it showed that he hadn't really repented. But repentance is important. We haven't mentioned it yet. But I want you to see... This text, Luke chapter 17, verses 3 and 4, it's in line with everything else we're saying. I mean, look at verse 4. It has the similar kind of idea that we looked at last week in Matthew 18. If the person keeps coming back, sinning but repenting, keep forgiving him. You must forgive. But it's introducing this new little concept of repentance. And we need to kind of drive down deeper here to understand what's going on. Okay, just remember, we mentioned this briefly last week, but if you had somebody in your life a spouse, a child, a parent. And they literally, according to Jesus' words, sinned against you seven times in one day. But every time they sinned, they came back and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I repent. I'm going to try my best not to do that again. You're supposed to forgive them. Let's just be honest. At least by number six, maybe number seven, wouldn't you start to be a little suspect of their repentance? But part of... A mega theme of Scripture is you ought to be leaning into forgiveness, wanting to forgive, eager to forgive, hoping to forgive. Nothing we're going to say today takes away that high premium on forgiveness. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be sons of God. It's point one. Reconciliation is the goal. And what, what does it take to reconcile? A con- confrontation usually, a repentance, and then forgiveness. But the second point is this repentance before reconciliation repentance before reconciliation and i'll show you what i mean flip over to romans chapter 12. romans chapter 12. we're going to look at a couple of different texts this morning romans chapter 12 and we're going to start in verse 9. now paul is talking in this section about loving your neighbor he's probably meditating on some of jesus's teaching about forgiveness because there's some very similar themes I'm going to read a large passage here, but there's really only one verse that I think is crucial for us this morning. So I'm going to start in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, but I want you to try to listen as I read. I wonder what's the one verse that Olin's really going to focus on that's going to help us this morning. Romans chapter 12, starting verse 9. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil. But give fault to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now there's a lot of good ones in there we had time, I'd let everybody take a vote. We'd see if anybody got it right, okay? But verse 18 is what I want us to focus on. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. The point is this. For reconciliation to happen, it takes two to tango. There has to be repentance and there has to be forgiveness. If you have tension in a relationship and you're trying to make it right... Think about it like this, and I'm going to use football, but you can apply this on any team sport. But let's say you're on a football team and pick your position, okay? You're the quarterback of the team. You said, what's the number one goal? Well, the number one goal is, I want to win. But if you go out, you're an NFL quarterback. You go out this afternoon and you play the game of your life you play lights out you throw for 450 yards you run for a couple of touchdowns no interceptions every pass completed but your defense does a terrible job you can still lose the game so your primary goal might be i want to win the game your secondary goal is i want to be able to go to bed at night and say i did my part i did my part i was faithful we didn't lose the game because of me you understand the point i'm making Similarly, when you have a relationship with someone and there's tension, part of what you should do is say, What I really want is I want reconciliation. I want full repentance. I want full forgiveness. I want to be back close with one another. But you can't control the other person. Let's just be honest. We can barely control ourselves, right? That's enough of a task for one day. So, in a sense, the goal that I need to be most concerned about is, God, I want to be faithful. I want to be humble. I want to be ready to forgive. I want to be ready to repent. So that even if the other person doesn't respond in the way I think they should, I can go home at night, put my head on the pillow and say, I think I was faithful. Okay? Now, if somebody has sinned against you and you cannot overlook it, there needs to be a rebuke and hopefully there will be forgiveness. Okay. But listen... Don't just avoid them. That's part of what Jesus is teaching in Luke chapter 17. And Paul is trying to teach in Romans chapter 12. And I think this has probably been present in humanity for a long time. But I think our culture is an expert in ghosting people. Avoiding somebody can be a form of payback. Can it not? The cold shoulder can be a terrific form of vengeance. Can it not? What's wrong, baby? Nothing. Okay? Seems like something's wrong to me. And listen, that that can go both ways. Here here tends to be the way that the man and the woman sin in that example. Okay? You could flip the roles if you wanted to. What's wrong, honey? Nothing. Great. Glad nothing's wrong. I'm going to go watch ESPN then. Better to say... Yes, yeah, something's bothering me. I'm not ready to talk about it right now. Okay, I'm very sorry. I'm going to give you your space, but whenever you're ready to talk, I want to talk. You're leaning into one another. Okay. Now, uh, flip. Just look over to Romans chapter 14 for just a second. Romans chapter 14. Look at verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Are you? Why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Love the other person well. Try not to be a stumbling block. But Listen, you can't control the other person. They might be insane. But you can say, you know what, I'm going to do my best to be faithful so when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ, I won't be able to say I was sinlessly perfect. But I say, Father, I tried to love that person the best way I know how. Let me give you an example. Imagine you had a guy and a girl that were dating. And they both profess to be Christians and it's getting kind of serious talking about engagement and marriage. But as they get to know each other more, the woman starts to see that the man has a drinking problem. And literally starts to get drunk. And as she tries to talk to him about it. He increases. He becomes violent. Never hits her. But he's punching holes in the wall. Throwing things like that. And maybe she goes to him. Says hey. This has to stop. No more drunkenness. No more violence. She's doing her part. She's rebuking. But if he refuses to repent. He's like I don't have a problem. I'll punch where I want to punch. No reconciliation can. Nor should it happen, right? If you if you have a friend like that, it's like hey, get out. Walk away. You did your best to love, to confront, they won't repent. There's no reconciliation. I love this passage in Romans 12:18. It's so practical, it's so realistic, it's so applicable. Matthew Henry said on this passage, "Study the things that make for peace. Try to be an expert on biblical truths." They can bring peace and relationships. But remember, you can't guarantee everything. Don't take time to flip there. But do you remember the story in Acts chapter 5, verses 28, 29, when the Pharisees, the religious rulers, they bring the apostles before them. They say, quit preaching Jesus. And basically, Peter says, we disagree. We think it would be sinful for us to quit preaching Jesus. So we're going to keep preaching Jesus. So we can't be reconciled with y'all. We disagree. you got to live faithfully to God. Reconciliation with other human beings ought to be a massive goal, but never at the point where you would sacrifice your faithfulness to God. Makes sense? Let me give a practical example. I have a, a good friend who is a homosexual, and not like a Christian struggling with desires trying to repent, but like, no, no, no I want to live this way. And he's coming to me and saying, well, Why can't you approve of this lifestyle? And I'm like, Well, because of the Bible what I believe the Bible says. He he said, but aren't there so-called Christians that would say they believe the Bible and also approve of homosexual lifetime? I said, there are people like that. Obviously, I disagree with them. He said, well, why don't you just be one of those kind of Christians? And then we can still have a friendship. And I said, because I love God more than I love you. It was hard to say, but that's the bottom line. We need to be aggressive in pursuing reconciliation with other people. And the only thing that should stop us is our faithfulness to God and then their ongoing sin that we can't control. Does that make sense? But as far as it goes with me, I must be able to say, I want to reconcile with you. Okay. Now, is anybody, if you've been paying attention at all to what we've been saying again for six or seven weeks does this seem like this doesn't jive exactly what we've been talking about? Right? Because the Lord's Prayer, Mark chapter 11, verse 25, gives us... Hey, if somebody sins against you, just forgive them in your heart. And now Jesus is saying, it sounds like, in Luke 17, they sin, you rebuke. And the implication seems to be, if they don't repent, you don't forgive. Now, this is going to be a little bit of 201 theology, but I think it's really... Helpful and important. Okay, There's a great book on this topic called The Peacemaker. If you're interested, great book to read. But it says there's a difference in having an attitude of forgiveness and actually granting forgiveness. Here's another way you say it. There's a difference in offering forgiveness and actually granting forgiveness. Here's, the way, here's maybe the best way to say it, remember. There's a difference in the attitude of forgiveness and the application of forgiveness. Does that make sense? So somebody sinned against you. You want to go talk to them. You have got to come in already. I have an attitude of forgiveness. I'm offering them forgiveness. That's not what we want to do. We want to come in like this. Well, they really blew it. And I'm going to go in there and I'm going to let them have it. And then if they can humble themselves and repent, well then, then I okay, I guess I'll forgive. But just think about why that's problematic. How inclined do you think they're going to be to repent when you come in spewing venom? Most people, the wall is going up with self-protection. But if you can come in, metaphorically at least, and maybe literally with tears in your eyes, listen, I hate what's happened between us. I want to forgive. But you've got to own your stuff and repent. If we're going to be reconciled. You're leaning into forgiveness. Then you're not trying to evaluate. Was the forgiveness and I mean, the repentance sincere enough or not? And hopefully it can elicit some brokenness and humility in them. So what's the difference? The attitude of forgiveness essentially says, God, I'm committing not to meditate on their sin against me anymore. Somebody sins against you and hurts you. You know how we like to replay the tape in our mind? I can't believe she said that. I can't believe he did that. That typically doesn't help anybody. Mainly you. So an attitude of forgiveness says, I'm not meditating on the tape anymore. I'm not replaying the video anymore. I'm forgiving in my heart. I'm offering forgiveness. I've got an attitude. But granting forgiveness is when you actually say to them, I will not bring this up again to harm you. It's over. You repented. I forgive you. When I talk about it anymore, it's gone. Like it never happened. That's the difference. Okay. Now, third point. Forgiveness offered before repentance received. I'm actually already into the third point. Uh, But flip over to Luke chapter 23. Let's look at a specific example of it. If you're like, I'm still not clear. What does it look like to offer forgiveness before they've repented? What does it look like to have an attitude of forgiveness before I even talk to them about it? It's this, that you can genuinely say in your heart, I wish them well. I want the best for them. I can pray for them honestly before God and say, God, I want them to be blessed. I want them to be happy. I want them to be right with you. I want them to repent. I want to be friends again. And the great example is the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. You know, before I read this, let me, uh, let me give you another practical example. I think I've mentioned before. My wife grew up in a very non-Christian broken home. Her parents were divorced at age three. Her dad actually stayed very involved in her life. In many ways, he did a great job from age 3 to age 12 as the father not living in the home. And then some things happened at age 12, and he basically ghosted her. Now, some friend ghosts you, that hurts, right? 12-year-old girl, think about that. All that you're being introduced to in life. And your dad ghosts you? And doesn't just, it's not, hey... Doesn't show up at any of the softball games, homecoming, anything like that. Quit sending the child support the whole nine yards. And always has an excuse. And that's the pattern to the day of his death. That devastates somebody, right? That's real pain. And praise the Lord, my wife in college, she came to Christ in high school. In college, she was being discipled by a woman uh, that did some counseling with her. And she got to a point where she went to talk to her dad. Trying to obey these scriptures. I'm going to confront my dad. I'm coming in offering forgiveness, hoping he repents, hoping we can be reconciled. Had two or three different conversations, and the bottom line is her dad didn't repent. But see, here's what happened because I, we were married by this time. My wife was able to walk out of those conversations, and there was freedom. He didn't change. In one sense, he got worse. She changed, she got free. While the emotional baggage and trauma, it just started to slip away. And he did die a few years ago. You know, when we first found out he died, my wife, she cried. She said, in one sense, I'm very sad. Of course, there's regret. I wish it was different. She said, but I can honestly, before God say this, I don't have personal regrets. Not that I was perfect, but I really, I I reached out to this man. I tried to initiate. I tried to love. I tried to reconcile. And he wouldn't have anything of it. And there's just a freedom. Whereas I've known other people that have put those conversations off forever and ever and ever until somebody's gone. And the regret is devastating. Don't do that. So what's the attitude you got to have? you got to be like the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And let's look at what he does. Luke chapter 23 starting verse 32. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can you honestly, genuinely, sincerely, wholeheartedly pray that for your enemy? Pray that for the person that you have tension with even while they're still sinning against you. Father, forgive them. I think they're blind. I don't think they really understand how bad it is, how much it hurts. Just forgive them. And they cast lots to divide his garments. Verse 35. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, the chosen one, the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourselves. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. Now, Jesus is praying for all those people. God forgive them. Jesus had a heart of forgiveness. We all agree with that, right? Attitude of forgiveness. Offering forgiveness. But how many of these people actually repented and were reconciled to Christ? We don't know. We don't know. Certainly not all of them. Certainly some. You want to do a little study later on. Go read Acts chapter 6. Read Acts chapter 15 verse 2. And part of what it talks about is Pharisees and priests coming to Christ later. Almost certainly some of them that had been there at the trial, at the crucifixion, later repented and they received that reconciliation with the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's no implication all of them did. But let's just look at the one example that's really clear. And again, you want to do a little extra Bible study today? Go look at Mark chapter 15 and go look at Matthew chapter 27. And it's very interesting. Both of those chapters will tell you that at least one point on the cross, there were two criminals who were cursing Christ, mocking Christ. Luke's the only one that gives us this insight that we're about to read. Look at verse 39. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly For we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was about the sixth hour. And there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. There's two criminals both mocking him amongst a lot of other people. In the midst of literally suffering hell for the sins of his enemies, he's praying, Father, have mercy on them. They don't really know what they're doing. And one of the criminals sees it, hears it, right there on the spot, gets melted by the mercy of Christ. And he's saved, he's reconciled. And if we look to Christ and say, I accept your offer of forgiveness, I repent of my sins, we're saved, we're forgiven. And if we'll go out in that power offering forgiveness, confronting in love, in hopes of reconciliation. We won't always see all people reconciled to us, but we will see some. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please bless the reading, the teaching, the understanding, and Lord, the application of your word. Transform us from one degree of glory to the next. Don't let us be stubborn. Don't let us be hard-hearted. Don't let us be hearers only who deceive ourselves. Help us know our sinful tendencies. We all have them. Help us humble ourselves before your mercy. Help there be such a fresh sense of joy over the gift of mercy that we are happy and glad to share it. In Christ's name. Thanks for listening to this episode of Truth Wars with Dr. Olin Stubbs. We want to remind you to please leave a review for this podcast wherever you listen and to share this podcast with any friends or family that you think may be blessed by Olin's teaching.